Welcome to Creative Innovators with Gigi Johnson. Today's guest is Tanya Katan. And you either have heard about her and think she is phenomenal, or you haven't heard of her yet. So I'm glad to be introducing her creative trespassing to your vocabulary. I first heard her at the WDS main stage a couple of years ago, bought her book, Creative Trespassing, dog-eared it, and just read it again before she came on the show. She is someone who breaks organizations and remakes them from the inside. She works with large organizations or significant organizations and helps them look at the contradictions in their own companies. Her background is in theater and is in coming into organizations and figuring out a different way to look at anything from the signs on the wall to the habits in the hallways and helping them break free on their own to look at things from a whole different lens. She has a new class that she's been launching in a new membership product. We'll talk about that at the end, but enjoy listening to Tanya talk about the world according to Tanya Katan. And I'm just going to start out to say I'm a fangirl and I am so excited. I usually don't cold reach out to people to say, I don't know you. Will you be on the show? But I was so thrilled to have listened to your um, uh, main stage presentation at the World Domination Summit, which always sounds like the wrong name. Um, It's like, no, that's not what it's about. It's about people trying to rethink community and service, but people go, you go where? Uh, So I've been going for like 10 years. But you were one of my very favorite main stage speakers, and I loved your book. And in fact, I was just rereading it and actually rereading all my notes I wrote all over the book because you are not just an inspirational speaker, but you are massively inspirational. And you have such a great way of looking at things. Can you maybe start us off in the conversation with what the heck you actually are doing now. And then we'll wrap back up with that as well. Um, What is creative trespassing and what are you doing with that? Well, first of all, Gigi, thank you for acknowledging my talk at World Domination Summit. And in fact, within the context of that talk, I too was having a difficult time with the the domination part. (laughs) Within the context of my talk at uh, WDS, I changed uh, domination to determination because Ah. I don't believe in hierarchy. And that's part of creative trespassing is how do we disrupt these these systems and mindsets that are keeping us stuck in thinking and feeling that we have to be a certain way in order to succeed in the world and in work. And in fact, the opposite is totally true. And I know this because I have used myself as a test case and also worked with lots of people in my long career um, and how valuable it's been to bring in notions from the outside or our outsiderness, our flaws, our fears, our scars into, you know, buttoned up, uptight, rigid workspaces, work cultures and life and, um, and disrupt those systems so that we can invite everyone in to participate with more creativity, innovation and imagination. And that's kind of been my jam. I come from theater as a more formal way of learning and looking at the world and playwriting more specifically. And so what I've done with that is I actually go into 
major and minor corporations like, you know, Fortune 500 companies, as well as arts organizations and uh, universities around the globe. And I preach the good word of bringing more creativity to solving problems and challenges and obstacles in everyday life and in the workspace. So that's what I've been up to. I've been keynoting a ton around the globe. I was doing it IRL, as the kids say, before COVID hit. And now I'm delighting in learning how to disrupt virtual speaking. And it's so much fun for me. It's unfair. <laughs> I, really, <laughs> I, I'm, I really like when once you're able to see and hear and celebrate a, an innovative process that doesn't uh, change if even if you change forms. So just because I'm not on stage doesn't mean I can't play with the frame of the camera of a computer, which I do all the time. So Oh, yeah. this makes me so happy because I have been pushing and challenging people on this for months now is that people seem to think that they're supposed to sit in the center of this little static box, ignore the mizzen scene of it, and somehow have the perfect home behind them. And, uh, and, and, and not that this is a window we can play with and that you can play on your side, I can play on my side, and people seem so stuck. Yes. Well, and that's it. You know, I learned about creativity and studied it uh, from, you know, the, the 90s onward. And there's a seminal study that you probably know, and your listeners probably know. Uh, it's Patricia Stokes talking about the, the how constraints are actually fuel for creativity. Patricia Stokes. I hadn't heard of Patricia Stokes, but I had heard about the constraint opportunities in creativity. Yeah. So what she proved early on, look it up, is that uh, there are we are sort of born with this innate ability to solve problems, like everyday problems, with creativity. And by creativity, I mean imagination. If you can't figure out one way of doing it, figure out another. And we're all born with that. The problem is, is over time, these systems uh, that are keeping us stuck have taught us not to trust our instincts, not to follow our imagination, but in fact, to stay stuck. So what creative, creative trespassing is all about, what I'm doing is bringing it, saying, hey, constraints are great. Let's embrace them and allow them to fuel us to figure things out. So for example, I'll start a talk and I'll look into the frame of the camera and I'll say, hey, everyone, let's constraints are awesome. Let me prove it to you. See that frame? See how little it is? Let's leave it and enter this, the frame in an entirely new way. And you'll have people leave the frame and then come and they'll do like the imaginary steps downward where they're like stepping on an escalator or they'll pop up or they'll dance into the frame. And so now they see a constraint as a wonderful opportunity to play and to use your imagination. And one of my friends did that with having a cooking class where everyone dragged their cameras into the kitchen and were cooking and drinking from different angles and making ravioli from scratch and seeing how different you could be cooking. But still, all cooking ravioli and getting fairly drunk. No, thinking about ways to do things differently. Um, it, it, it's interesting because we're such storytelling people at the same time that we think there's a story and then we get stuck in that story instead of breaking the story. So you're a story creator. This is really kind of where you came from. And I'm going to backtrack a while here because you tell a, a, a lot of your good origin story, which I adore, but you you were from a creative family. Did Were you limited by things with your family or did they really help you see this as a broader space? 
there were no limits in my family. <laughs> and actually I had the opposite, you know, instead of constraints, I had sort of like wild parents who were just figuring it out, um, how to be parents as we were figuring out how to be children, as we were figuring out how to be a family in the world. So my mom was an immigrant and um, English was a second language for her. So she was kind of like fumbling through getting jobs and odd jobs. And my dad was a New York city taxi cab driver and didn't necessarily have a formal education, but street smart all the way. So we were kind of a scrappy, wild family and things were great. And then they were not so great sometimes when we ran out of money, but whenever we'd have money, we'd celebrate and get a steak dinner and then we'd have no money again. <laughs> so, um, and, and, you know, my parents, the one thing that they really gave me foundationally was um, that anything I did, <laughs> which was good and bad, was like fantastic. You know, if I, if I drew something or I shared with them an idea I came up with as a little kid, they're like, that's fantastic. And so I, I sensed that support in being able to explore and be curious from an early age. And I trusted that support. The unfortunate part, which led to something fortunate, was I didn't have a map for how to be successful because here are two people who are like, I don't know how to be parents. Let's just figure this out. So a lot of you know, my friends I'd learned later in life had like a formal map, like you go to school and then you get a degree and then you get a job and then you do that job for the rest of your life and you become an adult. I didn't have that map. So I had to forge my own unique way of being in the world and understanding my value. Um, and I majored in theater. I got a degree in playwriting and, uh, you know, hit the ground running, getting jobs doing not playwriting. But I mean, I, I was I was a professional playwright. It didn't, you know, didn't pay the bills. So then I, I started to, to figure out my own map towards success and, and plot my own points as, as my life sort of unfolded right in front of me. And I ran to catch up with it. And then at some point, I had a consciousness of like, oh, my gosh, every space I go into, no matter if it's bagging groceries or working, you know, at a, a tech company, I bring a few tools and um, skills with me. And one of them is storytelling. And so the as I started figuring that out, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Other people are in these jobs and workspaces. It might seem rigid. And they're like, ah, I have a degree in theater too, or I do, I do design on the side or, you know, we all have these creative uh, practices or inclinations. And um, I realized the value in, in speaking up and using storytelling and an ability to connect with people um, as, as a valuable principle, no matter what workspace I found myself in. What were the, the most non-fit jobs that you started out having and how did you make them a unique fit? Yeah, I, I, bagging groceries is a good one. I worked at uh, Trader Joe's, TJ's, as we like to call it, <laughs> and, and it was fun. You know, here here's the deal: the stakes of uh, of that job didn't seem like you know if we dropped a bag of groceries, we dropped a bag of groceries. So the stakes didn't seem high, but still there was some rigidity within this, this culture sometimes. And so what my colleagues and I did is we would have contests where we would be like, okay. Let's see if we can make the grumpiest customer smile today, right? Or who can pack the groceries the fastest without breaking the eggs? So what we did is we infused a sense of playfulness in a job that otherwise is very transactional. You know what I'm saying? You got groceries, mm -hmm. they go in a bag. I charge you, I ring you up. Good day, madam. <laughs> and so I found ways to find um, playful, creative ways to make not only the time 
pass, you know, in a way, but for it to be a more joyful and creative pursuit than just sticking stuff in a bag. So you had a lot of, um, I was going to say odd jobs. So that sounds like the wrong framing, right? You, you had jobs that were experiments and that you got to play with. When did the first one really catch fire that was a great, that you were the tinder for? Expound on that a little bit. I'm not exactly sure what. Tell me a little bit more, Gigi. I'm gonna pre- I'm gonna pretend that I'm a professor now. <laughs> I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna make you explain that a little bit. Well, maybe I'm projecting my own life so that I was in a lot of early jobs where I was somewhat disruptive and quirky, and I didn't have someone who was ready to let that spark expand. So I had an early job myself where I was in advertising and you'd think that that would be a creative business, but with massive constraints. And I kept being told to not be doing art at my desk, to not have weird haircuts, to not be inspiring people to do weird things with me and ended up losing that job because I didn't have any senior support for whatever the heck I was attempting to do is my mission. And, uh, to me, that sometimes to be disruptive helps to have a cohort in crime that is attempting to let you be the spark to be bigger change. Got it. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, I feel like this interview is turned around. I'll be interviewing <laughs> you now, Gigi. Yeah. So, so there, you know what, the first, what, what I teach and preach when I'm, uh, when I'm coaching or I'm speaking on the stage, as you know, is for people to say the first thing that comes to mind because that's an impulse and instinct that we've lost long ago that we need to reinvestigate. So the first thing that came to mind was my job and in a tech company. And uh, although it seems like, you know, nowadays we're like tech companies are so disruptive and innovative. And a lot of times when I'm consulting with major tech companies who are scaling, what happens is the thing that made them so disruptive and lovely and creative is the first thing to go away when they start to scale. And um, my, you know, my pitch is for them to find alignment. So I tell you this because I was hired by a tech company in um, 2015 called Axosoft, not because I knew anything about technology. Um, They were a software company. And I thought software for realsies was a cashmere sweater. Turns out it's not that, it's something else. And I didn't really care about it. But what I did care about was this company sort of invited me through the front door to say, hey, you're weird and you tell good stories and people seem to uh, connect with what you're saying and the stories you're telling. And we'd like some of that in-house. And so I started at... um, this company learning about B2B SaaS software and, um, and it two months in, you know, uh, my boss asked my colleague and, and myself to come up with an idea to address the women in technology issue. And again, 2015, the issue was women weren't being seen, uh, celebrated or invited into that space. And that was a problem. And so, you know, they were basically asking me to, to disrupt, right? And that seems cool. Like, oh my gosh, you hired me for this and I want to do this and da, da, da. And so my colleague and I were brainstorming and couldn't think of anything. And um, so I went for a walk because that's my foolproof way of getting unstuck when uh, having a creative block. And I thought about symbols that represent women in, um, in all spaces and cultures and came up with uh, the bathroom lady. And for your listeners, you know her, You've seen her maybe several times today. She's got a triangle dress and a a circle for a head. 
And I brought this image back to my colleague and, um, yeah, started exploring it. And it turned into this campaign. But what I want to share with you, so it turned into the campaign called It Was Never a Dress. And basically what I discovered was that we were looking at her back, right? Um, she seemed to be wearing a dress, but if you flipped her around, she was wearing a cape this whole time. And that shift in consciousness was like <gasps> a moment for all of us in the company. And so we created this It Was Never a Dress campaign, which was a sticker. And I gave a talk about gender equity at uh, a girls in tech conference. And uh, while we were creating this campaign, you might think to yourself, and I, millions of people have seen it, uh, your listeners have seen it, that, oh my gosh, how cool, everybody must have been on board for this, like disruptive, yay. But when we pitched the idea to the larger company, a lot of, we got a lot of pushback and a lot of pushdown. Some people are like, this is the dumbest idea ever. Or why are we investing time and energy into it was never a dress when our product is not selling dresses or capes? We don't, you know, why are we doing this? And there was also a lot of support on the ground. And eventually, you know, it went into the world. But just because people and companies, you know, invite disruption in through the front door, or even have that as part of their mission statement doesn't mean that they maintain that connection. And this is something that's really important that I write about in my book a lot because people forget the alignment. Like what are, what's your, your mission or your vision statement? What do you, what are the quotes you have on the wall of your company or on your home? And then what are the on the ground realities and are, is there a disconnect? And if so, it's time to refuse the two. So that would be a moment for sure. And, and I love the stories in your book about those dissonance that you find in physical spaces of the of the signs on the wall and the quotes on the wall versus the security camera that's that's staring at people about uh, being in a wonderful, happy, and warm place. Uh, and I think of that actually oftentimes in Zoom as to what we're representing in terms of our identities, and yet we're in these little ticky tacky boxes. I, I loved that how viral that got to me. I at the time was traveling a lot and I was actually creating little post-it note capes and putting it on the bathroom <laughs> signs as I went through. So uh, uh, it, it is, as, as has been said, it's something hard to unsee. Um, when do you know you're done at a place like that? Mm. I mean, this is an interesting thing for innovators. Sometimes it's like, well, I'm here to, f you know, fluff everything up and get people looking and going. And then am I staying or is, how do I re restaff or repeople? that freshness, that new way of looking at things? There are two litmuses that I go by. One is I like to leave when I'm ahead. And two, yeah. uh, two I kind of have a three-year rule, which is so interesting. It didn't it didn't pan out with um, Axosoft because of, of a third way of, of looking at things. But really, I think that in order to gain traction and really serve and honor an organization or company, it, it, you need three years. And if you can't, if there's no proof of concept and launch in three years, peace out, you know? Um, so that's it. And then with access stuff, I mean, creating, it was never addressed. Like after you create a viral campaign that goes around the world that people embrace as a, a powerful symbol of a way to see the ordinary as extraordinary, there is nowhere to go from there. You know, I remember giving a talk at, um, I think it was NYU after the campaign had come out and this woman came up to me and she's like, well, I guess you're done doing anything. Like you could just be finished. You created something like so large. 
And um, so I think that that was a good time to leave after creating that and, and also, you know, serving my promise to that company, which was to create brand awareness. And guess what? You know, we, we created brand awareness to the tune of over, um, I think there, it, we increased website traffic by a thousand percent to to the company you know so all all of the metrics had been ticked and at that point it was like okay and also to be honest with you and and listeners you know there was a moment where the company was sort of going in a different direction and they didn't need me anymore as well so i felt like okay i've accomplished my my task i've also you know kind of infused my colleagues and this company with new ideas and new audience members and all of that and um so it was a real like we we're both kind of like man do is is this a good fit anymore and um and it wasn't so that was the time to leave. I mean, not all jobs are created to last. And, you know, when I'm working with people who are even, you know, CEOs of companies or uh, uh, executive directors, a lot of times there's this feeling like I've got to see it all the way through this sort of clinging. And at some point when you've tried everything, when you've shifted the culture, when you've honored the mission and vision, and people are just like, meh, it might be time to leave. Yeah. And I found sometimes, though, it's also repeopling it for the next people who will carry that further in the next direction, or else it sometimes just fades without repeopling it. Well, yeah, and that's it, too. You know, one thing, and you know, because you read the book um, extensively, but in Creative Trespassing, you know, there's a note about leaving a creative legacy, leaving people and processes in better shape than when you arrived. And with the It Was Never Addressed campaign, and Accessoft, it was a small company that as a result of this being left behind, something we co-parent, I left things in better shape than when I arrived. How amazing is that? It's wonderful. You know, back in my 20s, I would have left like um, no computer, no ink in the printer, dirty dishes in the shared sink, and like uh, I would have flipped the boss the bird and taken off, you know. And that as I matured, I realized, oh, leaving a creative legacy is infinitely more valuable and fulfilling than not. It's interesting of our guests so far of this podcast, almost none of them have been creators in large organizations uh, that they have gone off to do creativity elsewhere, but in creative industry areas. But you've done some work. I was thinking of, of your, your tale of your museum time that you come into an organization that is framed to be creative, but has some of those same ticky tacky little boxes of structure. Are, are there ways, and maybe from that example or other examples, where creative organizations could stand to see themselves a little more creatively? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, there's one exercise that comes to mind that will be helpful for, for you know, creative organizations, leaders, etc., that I use with um, clients, which is to ask yourself, what if the opposite were true? So a lot of times when these organizations stay stuck, and especially when I leaped into working at a contemporary art museum, their practices at the time, even though they wanted new audiences and new life and new programs and break the rules, their processes were pretty rigid and pretty typical. And so by asking, what if the opposite were true? So we know we need to bring in new audiences. Do we have to do it in the same old ways? No. What if the opposite were true? What if instead of doing it old ways, we did it in new ways? And if we know we need to create revenue streams, 
why do we have to do it by selling tickets? What if the opposite of selling tickets were true? We gave away tickets. And in fact, I gave away art. So I really used that. What if the opposite were true to address every part of my job description? And look, you know, I, it pissed some people off. We had a board of directors and community stakeholders. But at the end of the day, I created programs like Arm Wrestling for Art, where I literally <laughs> bought an arm wrestling table with my small budget uh, and plunked it in the middle of the museum and invited people from the community, all community members, not just like artsy fartsy folks and us creative types. I invited, you know, we had it multi um, generational, you know, cultural backgrounds. Everybody came to arm wrestle to win a piece of art. They paid $10. So what this did is it democratized the way we acquired art instead of people with money being able to afford it. And instead of museums hanging it and keeping it in a cage, we gave it away. If you won arm wrestling or you trash talked loud enough. And, um, and so that really infused the museum and their uh, mission with new life for realsies. And again, people were like, well, Tanya's not working. She's just running around having fun. And it's like, you know what? Work and fun are not mutually exclusive. And in fact, there are studies that prove the more fun and play that you have within your job or your work, the more you get done and the more generous the offering is. So, so, I guess a, a mental sidestep ha with the what if the opposite were true? Are you a fan of Byron Katie's work? Oh, you know, I I don't know. Uh, she's not one of the people I know. Her work it very light. I'm more of a a Pema Chodron uh, kind of focus. I like my boot. I like my Buddhism with my teachers. <laughs> I like to uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, so those are more of, of the people that I, I re respond to. So I don't know her work enough to, to comment on it, but I know a lot of people who, who really connect to her teachings. Yeah. And actually it's called the work, which is kind of interesting because oh. she takes this into a personal level. And a lot of people tend to think about personal stories, but they don't think about organizational stories and that organizations are bundles of stories that are all hung up on each other and, and self-connecting. Um, and so it, it's, it's great that you play with organizational stories. Are, are, are you working to help people see their own stories or are you being the lens to show them a different way to see their stories? Both depends on the context. So when I'm giving a keynote uh, talk at a summit, as you saw me at WDS, or mm -hmm. giving a keynote talk at like Expedia or Uber, what I try to do is to show and not tell. It's something that I learned, and I'm sure you teach your students as well, you know, in creative writing. Telling a story is, hey, you guys need to really accelerate your efforts, and it seems like you could touch on here, here, and there. You know, showing a story is, let me tell you about a time I was in a car with an Uber driver who's driving so fast, and I know you want to, and I, you know, I, I told this story actually at Uber, and they were all their engineers, and they were brought me in because they're interested in accelerating with more creativity. And I didn't tell them, hey, go faster. I showed them what it looked like to be driven by an Uber driver who was so con concerned with getting there as fast as he could that we almost died <laughs> in the process and, and showed them what it felt like to be on that 
treacherous journey. And then what it felt like when we slowed down and we stopped and, you know, and they were like, so, so by sharing and showing a story, what I'm asking uh, the audience is to have uh, invite them in to have an emotional response rather than an intellectual one. And as we all know in, in the creative arts and, and all those of us who teach or coach or consult is that those are the stories or the ideas that stick are the ones that we have an emotional response to or that resonate with us in our bodies. And so uh, in that context, I'm showing a story. And then within coaching, my job and consulting is to bring out your stories, is to show you, uh, you know, and to pinpoint the areas in your story where you have accelerated or you have done something so extraordinary and you can't see it because you're so close to it. So it's a lot. Once you see your story, then you can rewrite it. You can reimagine it, but you have to see it first. So that's my job. So to answer your question, yes, both. (laughs) So we're right now again in the beautiful October, 2020 in a year of massive disruption. What has been different in working with now heavily disrupted organizations to help them with your mojo? Two things. The one thing that's really astounding is a lot of uh, companies are reaching out for me to give virtual talks to inspire them on creativity. This is something now that nobody has the luxury of poo-pooing or pushing aside. If you are not creative, you are not moving forward at this time. Creativity, in fact, is the new job security. So that's what I'm hearing a lot. People need to be inspired to trust their instincts, i.e. be creative. And that's what's happening right this second. It's like a foundation. And again, what I mean by creativity for your listeners who who came in late, who are eating Cheetos on the way here, and I wish I had some as well. Um, I don't get sponsored by Cheetos. I don't know why I said that. Uh, But is creativity the little C? So there's two C's in creativity. Little one, big one. Little C is all about solving everyday, really practical problems with imagination. Big C is, I'm a painter, I'm a musician, I'm a playwright. Everyone's got the little C. So it's about tapping back into it. And that's what companies are realizing. They're they're realizing they need the little C now more than ever. Well, especially since some of the core assumptions of how they do everything are now flippable, right? So that they could be rethinking everything that was the core assumption of how people show up every day, what they wear, how they connect. And yet they want to hold on to some of the existing rituals to have some sense of who they are, but it's time to maybe flip the script. Absolutely. And in fact, I was giving a, a talk to uh, ADP for their, their, you know, they're their on your checks, perhaps. Um, and giving a talk about the one of the areas that they were focusing on with their sales team is that now there are people who have been in working there for a long time and these new fast tech processes that they need, there's a little resistance to them, right? Mm. And, mm-hmm. and this has been like throughout time, right? And I'm not a fan of technology. I was that I was the rigid person who's like, I don't want to I don't want to do that technology. I hate software. But it helps them advance and connect with their their humans. And so I said, well, you know, maybe you can offer them a real analog way to get behind this technology, instead of fighting it, instead of going like the opposite, we need to give you more tech, more tech, more tech, even though it's freaking you out as a sales team. 
What if you gave them less tech? What if you gave them an opportunity to send their customers a check, a physical check and that says, I want to check in with you. So here's my, my number. Give me a call when you're feeling like this is too uncomfortable for you to understand. So using the materials and tools we have in-house in an innovative way is also exciting as well. So don't poo-poo analog, don't poo-poo technology, find new ways to turn them on their heads and invite more of your clients and audiences in. And then you have a new tech or process now where you now are offering classes. Can you share what what's how that's working, what your own insights and ahas are and and what you invite people to? Well, first of all, because there might be um, academics, I am not an academic. These are uh, the opposite of academic classes, unless um, they're taught by Gigi or my wife, Angela, who's a professor. <laughs> um, so, the, yeah, so I had to adapt really quickly, right? You know, COVID hits and then it's like all my revenue from uh, public speaking and you know, some coaching and consulting slow down for a second because people needed to catch their breath and figure out what happens next. Virtual speaking starting to come back. Yeah. But in the meantime, I couldn't wait. I started creating online classes and memberships. So one class that I have right now is called Creative Trespassing, The Map. And it's all about transforming limiting beliefs and mindsets into unlimited creative possibilities and solutions so that you create your own map towards your own version of success. And the I've created videos and downloadable worksheets for people to do it at their own pace. And I have to say, we went through the first cycle of it. And what I learned was people needed this right now, because the big, the big question I ask everyone, the first video in Creative Trespassing the Map, I turned to the camera and I quote from Mary Oliver's uh, poem, A Summer's Day, what is it that you want to do with your one wild and precious life? Because this is the moment that we ask that all of us who are listening and who are doers and thinkers and dreamers, we're like, I want to write my book. I want to launch my podcast. I want to launch a business. But I I'm waiting. What are you waiting for? A pandemic? Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, this that's what I learned is a lot of people had been waiting for something. And so providing them with this online course and it's DIY and the videos are really fun because they were fun to make. Uh, and I have special guests in the videos and the worksheets are really playful. They're um, loving it. And they love two things in particular. One is the idea behind it, which is do one thing instead of no things or nothing, uh, because a lot of high achievers are, are taking the course and giving me feedback. I'm a high achiever as well. And it's like we have a tendency to, to have all these lofty ideas, like I'm going to write a book, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, and then we get overwhelmed and do nothing. So the principle and foundation is to just do one thing a day. And that accumulates those small articulated gestures over time amount to a book to a business, to an organization, to, to an entire life. And then the other thing I am doing is a membership, which I just, I haven't launched publicly. I don't know when this is going to go out. You don't have to cut it because by the time this goes out, it'll be available for everyone, but it's a creative trespassing membership where, um, kind of like Facebook, you can chat, but it's better than Facebook and less restrictive. You can chat with each other every day. And then also I have live monthly coaching meetings with me where we're going to zoom it out so I can see people in real time and space. I'm going to bring in special guests who are my friends who are TED speakers, 
thought leaders from around the globe and um, also, you know, uh, New York Times bestselling authors, which I'm really excited to leverage my relationships finally. And um, they get all kinds of goodies and tools to create whatever they want to create at this time or any uncertain time so that they can move forward in their lives. So the Creative Trespassing membership, I'm super stoked about. Excellent. It is a time for finding other kindred spirits. So I'm glad that you're doing that. That's great. We are at the end of our conversation. Is there anything we have not yet talked about that you would want to tuck in before we close out? No, I think this was totally comprehensive. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I, I love that you're having a podcast dedicated to in- innovation. And I just want to say that everybody here is an innovator and how you choose to use that superpower is up to you. So the, the only thing I advise is to choose to use it as opposed to let it atrophy and go away. You are needed now. You are needed in the world. You are needed in your community. And so please take flight and we need you. And, um, and if you want to connect with me, you can find me on tanyakatan.com, T-A-N-I-A, Katan, K-A-T-A-N.com. That's where my courses are. And you can also email me directly uh, or follow me on Instagram where I'm the unreal Tanya Katan. I repeat, the unreal Tanya Katan because Tanya Katan was taken by a woman with children and I didn't want her children to have to go to therapy. So I just renamed <laughs> My, I've got to do enough therapy for all children everywhere. Um, so yeah. And I invite you to, you know, follow me and comment, engage in a conversation. I would, I love having conversations with people on social media and I will respond to every email. I promise. Tanya, thank you for joining us today. A real pleasure. Thank you for having me, Gigi. So there we have Tanya. I am excited to learn more about her new membership program. I've been watching about her new class and I just love her book and what she does. She really gets you to think a bit differently about the normal things in your quote unquote normal organizations. Thanks for joining us. Share this episode with your friends. Find at least two friends that could use this and pass it along. And then come give us ideas on who you'd like to see on the show on creativeinnovatorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Creative Innovators. We are expanding our footprint. So we invite you to go to creativeinnovatorspodcast.com and find us on Substack, where we are creating a new matrix of our past shows that you can find them more easily and find them along with the career adventure guide content where you can take your own career and use some of the tools in the setup to both be inspired by past episodes of Creative Innovators as well as become a bigger and better creative innovator yourself. We're also launching in a couple of other platforms this year. So stay tuned and join our lists and and find out where else you can find and combine with creative innovators in 2024.